night, and let's go to the book of Ezekiel, and we have a tall chore tonight, but with the Lord's help, we'll get through it, and I want to thank everybody that had a part in our friend day. I know that um, I spoke to many before and even after, and uh, some had made the comment, you know, that they had invited someone, and uh, their friend didn't show up. And uh, that's, that's part of it. It happens sometimes. But if you're like that, you invited someone <clears throat> and they told you they were going to come and they didn't, then invite them again, you know, and uh, they may not have been able to make it this Sunday, but they might come some other time. And I'll tell you, people, people need, like those, those that got saved today, people need the Lord. There's always going to be someone that does not know Christ. And of course, there's always people looking for a church. We had a lot of good conversations and comments from people uh, after and people are looking for a church and of course we, we just want to try to help in that process. We've got a starting point class coming up. Uh, we sent out and gave some invitations. If you're newer uh, and you have not, you're not a part of the church, we'd love for you to join us and it's just an informal time. We'll cover some information about the church, the history of the church and uh, we'd love to have you be a part of that. What's the dates on that? Do you remember? October 16th, and that's at 10.30 in the morning on October 16th, and so if, you, if you're not a part of the church, you've been coming and you're interested in being a part of that, we tried to get out word, we might have missed a few here and there, but uh, if you would do us a favor, look at your calendar, it's a Saturday, and it starts at 10.30, we'll go from 10.30 to about noon, and then we'll have a really nice meal that'll be worth it, and hopefully you'll come and enjoy that, but uh, this is just a way for people to get connected if they're looking to be a part of our church. And so I wanted to say that. And I want to thank uh, many of you. Uh, I said it jokingly this morning, and I know it's always kind of a funny thing, but many of you did uh, and were inconvenienced and gave up your sacred spot. And uh, I, I think it was uh, funnier to watch the reaction of our members more than it was. Uh, Candace was asking me before church, she said, Pastor, how'd you like that? We were sitting right in front. And, I, and because they were sitting there, the nobles were sitting over there. And, and because the nobles were over there, somebody was over there. Everybody was out of sort, all because of the Rodriguez's, all right? <laughs> but praise the Lord, they had, a, they had a good group with them. But it's always funny to see that. And of course, I, I, I appreciate the love and the spirit and, and really the, the, the special bond that we have as a church family. Brother Kenny, where is he? Brother Kenny did Cookie Monster, and the problem is that Brother Kenny's watched too much Star Wars, and so Cookie Monster sounded like Yoda, and so that was the problem right there, but it was, it was a good, noble try, all right? <laughs> he did a great job. He, I handed it to him, and he goes, really, Pastor? You want me to do this? And I go, come on, give your best Cookie Monster, you know, so anyway, he did a great job. All right, well, listen, take your Bibles there, and if you have them, of course, uh, we're going to cover Ezekiel. I, <laughs> I told Brother Kenny, I, I spent a couple of hours this afternoon just, just myself going back over this, and I, I had to take a break away, Brother Flynn. Uh, just, just going through what I'm going to cover tonight was, was literally, I'm not, it was making my head spin. Uh, this book is an amazing book, and I've said it often, and I, I, I don't say it jokingly, but but I cannot do justice to a book in the Bible 
even if it's the size of the book of Lamentations, but much less the book of Ezekiel. And so you just pray for me as we go through this. And I'm praying that even though we may go through it quickly with what you have there, maybe what you write, and it's not always the fill in the blanks. I know you like to be feel like you're fulfilled when you got that blank filled in there. But uh, sometimes there might be something God gives you. There's space around there on the paper. Write it down and come back to it. That's what it's all about. So we'll get started here tonight. And as we normally do, especially for those that may be new or watching, this is Route 66. And, of course, we went through the New Testament books last year. We're going through the, the Old Testament books this year. And you see there, uh, of course, we saw the books on the shelves. And right here is the divisions of the Old Testament books. And we are in that last section there called the prophets. And, of course, as you look at that, we covered Isaiah, we covered Jeremiah, and, of course, Lamentations all last week. And then tonight we're in the book of Ezekiel, and then we will cover the book of Daniel next, uh, next time we're together. But there's really four of the major prophets, and major meaning the size of their writings, not the importance of it, Okay. Because when you see the last ones that we cover, that lengthy list there, those are known as the minor prophets. Many of them are much smaller in size as far as the content. But nonetheless, uh, what the context of those minor prophet books is just as important because, because God's Word is equally inspired. Every last bit of it is important. So tonight as we look at this book, I always give a heading. This one I call the book of glory, lost, and regained glory lost and regained and you'll see that throughout the entire time we're together tonight the glory of God lost and regained and of course how sad it is that God's glory was lost and we'll see that here tonight now Ezekiel means God strengthens me and he was the son of a priest uh, Ezekiel's ministry was a ministry that actually was designed to even impress children, but when you study this book, it actually is one of the most difficult books in all of the Word of God. Uh, I'd probably put it right up there with the book of the Revelation, and very difficult to cover this, but again, a book of prophecy. Uh, Notice Ezekiel, as we talk about the prophets of the Old Testament, he was the twelfth of the prophets. He was a man that was was contemporary with, meaning that his ministry, we'll see in just a second, how it it kind of coincided with or overlapped, notice these individuals, Jeremiah, Daniel, and then many believe also could have been part of the time we see Habakkuk and Obadiah uh, in their ministries God gave to them. Now, here's a quick chart, and Brother Tyler will probably have to help us a little bit, but if you can see here, I don't think you have this, but down here at the bottom you have Ezekiel, and of course, notice how Ezekiel, if you can bring it this way a little bit, Brother Tyler, other way other way that way all right maybe not there you go <laughs> anyway just just yeah just zoom out, out on it there all the way I'd be doing the same thing if I was Tyler so Ezekiel's ministry fell right in notice there with Daniel's in part of Daniel's and and if you saw on the chart there if you want to zoom all the way out you can see where uh, Jeremiah's ministry was up there at the top. And, of course, right there in the middle, notice that, the, of course, the Jews, because of the idolatry, they went into captivity. They were in exile. And, of course, you see that time span there. And if you notice, 
Ezekiel falls completely while they were in captivity, and we'll discuss that in just a minute, but that's just a little bit of a visual there. Notice uh, the next statement here that Ezekiel was addressed by God as the Son of Man. Now, that's small letter S, and the reason I say that is because this expression was used uh, by God of Ezekiel 90 times, but it was used of Christ 80 times. Isn't that interesting? It was used 10 times more about Ezekiel than it was about Jesus. However, Jesus was capital S, the Son of Man. And so it says the, the reason for this is in the book of Ezekiel, the phrase Son of Man is an expression used to show him, to show Ezekiel as God's prophet his own weakness and show his need to depend upon God for strength and success. I just told somebody the other day, God has an amazing way of humbling us. God, God brings us low, and the Bible also tells us that God is not only the one that brings us down, but God is the one that, that will exalt us in due time. And oftentimes, we want to climb the ladder of success, but we find here that God gives this title to the prophet just to help him understand and remind him of his weaknesses and his need to depend on God for strength. And I don't know about you, I can't make it through a day without the Lord. I need God's strength physically, emotionally, spiritually. And, uh, and so if you're like me, we need the Lord every day. Notice he was, uh, Ezekiel was a powerful preacher. Uh, I hope you've taken time, if not, maybe you can, to read this, these 48 chapters again, but powerful, powerful preaching. His favorite expression, I love this, was, the hand of the Lord was upon me. What a great, you know, even Nehemiah said that as he rode around those walls, that the hand of God was upon him. And, and this is the expression, and he said that many times, showing how strongly Ezekiel felt the need to go forth and preach God's message. And certainly, even this morning, the reason those people got saved this morning wasn't because of me, it wasn't because of my notes, it was because of God's power to save their lives. And so we see that it all comes through the preaching of God's Word, and that's why we make much of it here at our church. Now, if you go back and you look at two of the prophets we've already looked at, I love this thought here, Isaiah was the statesman prophet of faith. Jeremiah was the martyr prophet of love. Ezekiel was the exile prophet of hope. Now, what do you see in the New Testament? Faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is what? Love, you know? And so we see, even here, God using these three prophets. And notice another thing I see here that was pretty neat. Isaiah's prophecies, when you study them, they exalt the sun. We talked about Isaiah 53. And many other places. When you look at Jeremiah, his prophecies exalt the Father. But when you look at Ezekiel, his prophecies exalt the Holy Spirit of God. Well, we believe in a triune God. So really, when you look at it, you could study Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel in tandem, and you'll get a very good picture of who God is. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I love that how we see that tie together there. Now, it says Ezekiel was married, and Ezekiel's wife died in captivity. I gave you the reference there. Now, during the captivity, notice Ezekiel lived. If you want to, you can look this up maybe in maps or Google Maps or something. But he lived northeast of Babylon, 
at a place called Tel Abib with other captives by the river Kibar. And notice here it was a canal branching off from the Euphrates River. He lived about 40 miles, look at this, 40 miles from the traditional home of Noah. That's where he lived. 40 miles from the traditional home where they believed Noah was from. And he also lived about 100 miles from the very site known as the Garden of Eden. Now what's cool about that is when you look, and I put here, that explains why you see in Ezekiel's writings his use of Noah's name and the Garden of Eden. And you see that, I gave you the references there, chapter 14, chapter 28, 31, and 36. So, you know, he's right there in that area where the Euphrates River is. And, of course, that was during the time of captivity. And we see here that this was a time, it's, it says here, by the way, if you ever look in the Bible, this is just a little uh, side note, I did some studying uh, years ago. Notice uh, he was northeast of Babylon at Tel Abib. Now, the, the word tell, if you look even today, a tell, T-E-L, a lot of times what you would have in, in Bible days, cities were, as even Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, they were set on a hill. And so what, what the enemies would do is they would attack these cities and they would destroy them. They would burn them to the ground, they would dismantle them, and they would lay dormant. But there were times where other people would then come to that very same area because cities were placed strategically. They were put near maybe a water system, a stream or a river or whatever. And so a lot of times it was the best location to establish a new city. So what they would do is they, they didn't have excavation like we do today. So they would come and they would build on top of the city that was there before them. And so there are many places where there's been many cities that have been established one on top of the other. That's why through archaeology they begin to dig and they find many artifacts way down in the ground from these other civilizations that have lived before them or other cities of people. And, and so anytime you see the word tell, it basically is talking about a hill or a mountain and of course you see attached to it many times a Hebrew name, and so you see the word here, Tel Abib, which is where he was at, near the river Kibar, all right? So there's your little history lesson. You can look that up if you want, but there's many tells over in the Holy Land, and you can look that up. It's pretty fascinating. Now, notice Ezekiel's prophecies, his prophetic utterances, they began about seven years before the destruction of the city of Jerusalem. And they concluded about 15 years after Jerusalem was destroyed. And it should be noted, and I want you to keep this in mind, especially if you read and study the book of Ezekiel, during his whole ministry, Ezekiel was a prisoner. He was in exile in Babylon. So, you know, you think there's four books in the New Testament that Paul wrote from what place? From prison. And, and it's amazing some of the writings... And some of the positive things that we read from those books in the New Testament, but yet Paul was in prison when he wrote those. You know why? Because they weren't Paul's words. They were God's words. And so we always find hope. And so here's Ezekiel in captivity. And yes, he's sharing some very 
very uh, gloomy things. Now listen, it's not, it's not because of God, because God is good how, long, how much of the time? All the time. But the reason that there was such a dark picture was because of the sin of man. And, and we see not only that, but we see the hope. But look at this as we think about this. The visions that God gave to Ezekiel, they are mainly given in the book in chronological order. Now, that doesn't always happen. And notice I didn't say they're all, in chron- but mainly in Ezekiel, they're given in chronological order. Now, I don't know about you, that helps me. <laughs> Because sometimes when you read a book in the Bible, it's like back and forth, and where does that fit in? In the book of Ezekiel, that helps a little bit, and I've given you the references there for those visions. Now, the contents of the book, Ezekiel's predictions before the destruction of Jerusalem have for their chief object a call to repentance for those living in careless security. Notice the wording there. They're just living because they didn't need God. All right, they're living in careless security. And notice that it was the predictions were to warn them who were living that way against indulging in the hope that by the help of Egypt, the Babylonian yoke would be shaken off. Well, just think about those words. I mean, what is Egypt a type of? Type of the world, right? I mean, they're literally looking to God's people are looking to the world. Listen, I'm going to tell you something That's the problem with the church today is the world has moved into the church. That's the problem. Churches don't look like churches. They don't sound like churches. They look just like the world. Do you know, look, I don't go to them. I don't watch them, but I've seen examples of them. And before I got saved, some of the stuff I used to listen to and some of the stuff I used to be a part of, that's that's what they call church nowadays. I find it hard to believe God gets the glory out of that. But we see that often. And so it says here that also Ezekiel's predictions were to assure them that the destruction of their city, which is Jerusalem, and the temple was inevitable. It was going to happen. And again, I think of America today, how unless America turns back to God, the destruction of America is inevitable. You know, we've talked much, Brother Flynn and I, other people, we have talked. And, you know, when you study Bible prophecy, you know what you can't find in the Bible? any semblance of America. Now, I'm not here to be a prophet. I have no idea. I could give you my theories. I give you my ideas. I don't know how accurate they would be. But, you know, there there is much to think about there, you know, if we're going to turn our back on God. And we need to understand this. Now, look, as we're thinking about his predictions, Ezekiel's predictions, his prophecies, it says, that he pronounces the doom and vindicates the justice of God in punishing the people for their sins. He made it clear that to return, for them to return to Jerusalem, they must first return to the Lord. That's what they need to do. And you know, if anybody's ever going to get right with God, what do they need to do? Well, we heard this morning, they need to get the clay out of the way, right? They need to return to the Lord. And this is what his predictions were all about. Notice his predictions after the destruction of Jerusalem have for their chief object his care to console the exiled Jews by promises of future deliverances and restoration to their land and an abundance of comfortable promises concerning the Messiah and of the blessings of grace by him. Now, can I just look? This, this is not, listen to me, this is not Ezekiel 
giving the power of positive thinking. That's not what Ezekiel's doing. Because again, Ezekiel is declaring the Word of God. But he's trying to help them understand that if you turn back to God, then there is hope. And that message is still true today. But in Ezekiel's day, he gives them the promises concerning the Messiah, the blessings that come along with the Messiah. Now, the book shows the withdrawal of the Lord from Israel and declares the reason why. When you study it, you read it, it actually tells you. And notice not only that, but it covers the return of the Lord to Israel and reveals the method how, how he's going to do that, chapters 25 to 48. So in other words, if you go back to the title of what I've given to this book, you see then the, the book of glory lost and then the glory returned. And that's what you see right there, the Lord withdrawing and the Lord returning. And, it, and really, uh, God does not force himself on us. It is up to us to repent, to turn. And the Bible says that he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, now much of his prophecy was in signs, and many of those prophecies, he acted them out. Not acted up, he acted them out. And this is where I spent a lot of time this afternoon because I'm going to tell you something. Some of these some of these prophecies, some of these signs. Now, what was it that the Jews always required? A sign, right? I'm pretty sure that Jews are from Missouri. Show me, right? The show me state. But nonetheless, here's what we find is, is that God, God on numerous occasions said to the prophet, okay, I want you to show them. Not just declare it, but I want you to act it out. <laughs> and so these, some of these, when we read them, it's, it's like, are, am, I, am I reading the Bible? What is this about? Now, that's the way I feel. Maybe you've maybe you got a better handle on it. But the action that, that this prophet took was intended to attract the attention of the rebellious exiles. And so God, God was trying to get their attention. Now, at times, notice here that Ezekiel was speechless. He didn't say anything. He used sign language. Now, I, don't, I don't think he'd ever been to school for sign language. Maybe he had. But he remained quiet. He used sign language. He actually, and you have some references there, he gave 10 messages in the sign language of the dumb in the first 24 chapters. Just think about that. Ten messages in the first 24 chapters. He didn't say it. He signed it to them. He acted it out. Now, I want to give you some of these. And, and listen, I could give you all of them. If you study and read it, you can find the rest yourself. But I, I want to explain some of these just so we have a little understanding. It just gives us a flavor of these prophecies and really what's behind them. Notice the first one. In chapter 4 and verse 1 through 4 is the sign of the tile, T-I-L-E. Now, in this particular prophecy, Ezekiel was instructed by God to depict Jerusalem on a clay tablet, a tile. He was then told by God to take an iron plate. Now, why an iron plate? Because iron is considered to be an unbreakable barrier. And he was supposed to take that depiction 
of Jerusalem, and he was to place that iron plate between himself and the scene. In other words, you know, kind of like when I was a kid, I don't know about you, but I used to have those little plastic army guys, you know? Rogan, I know you played with those too, all right? Some of you might have had cowboys and Indians, you know? But I, I would set up a whole scene, you know? And then we would take times, now as I got older, instead of just knocking them over, we started using firecrackers, you know, various things like that. But, but here's the picture is, and I know it sounds kind of immature, but remember, everything God does, He does for a reason. There's a purpose behind all of it. And you have to understand that. And so God, by His Holy Spirit, is trying to help us to see this that he placed this barrier between himself and the scene that he constructed. Why? Because it symbolizes the barrier between God and Jerusalem. Now, what was the barrier again? It was an iron barrier. It was an unbreakable barrier. Now, what does all that mean? That means that God was, through Ezekiel, was trying to help his people to understand, here it is, That God would not intervene and rescue Jerusalem in the coming conflict. Now, if I was God's people, I'd have a hard time accepting that particular prophecy. But that was the the sign of the tile. Notice the next one that we see here. Here's here's one in chapter 4 also. For an entire year, God instructed him to lie down on one side and then to turn over on the other side. And you're like, what in the world is this all about? As a matter of fact, he was supposed to first lie on his left side and then on his right. And as he did this, the people saw him. They saw the prophet lying there on his left side for, for beyond a year's time span. I can't even sit still in a chair for a couple hours. But he lied there, and then he rolls over on his other side. On his left side, he was there for 390 days. The days correlate to the years. 390 days, 390 years that Israel sinned against God. Then he rolls over on his right side. Not for 390 days, but for 40. Again, the days correlate with the years, 40 years which was the number of years of iniquity of their sister Judah. This particular prophecy, Ezekiel lying there all that time, was a constant reminder that Jerusalem was falling and that the people only had themselves to blame. Their sins had caught up with them. Wow. Again, God giving them a very visible, very thoughtful about how far away they were from him. Notice the next one. Also in chapter 4, he was instructed to eat disgusting food. Now don't comment because your wife might be sitting next to you, all right? But here's, here's the thing is that, remember, they were in exile. They did not have uh, supplies as accessible to them as they usually did. And so many times they were looking around at anything they could get their hands on to make bread. Now, here's the kicker, and I'm just trying to be biblical tonight, but they were instructed by God to use human excrement as the fuel to bake the bread. 
That sounds pretty disgusting because it is. What is this all about? Here's is. It was symbolic of the defilement of God's people that they were an unclean people. The next one is the sign of the razor and the fire in chapter 5, verse 11 verses. Ezekiel was commanded by God to take a sharp sword and he was supposed to use it as a razor to cut off his hair and his beard. Swords or cutting knives represented the truth to cut against all things that were false, evil, and sinful. It's a cutting into, an examining, a dividing, a separating, or a destroying. When he cut off the hair and cut off the beard, the baldness of the prophet represented a condition of the mind in which man is deprived of the knowledge of truth. He's without learning and without understanding of spiritual truth. The hair being cut off, it falls to the ground and it finally dies. Truth, when it's separated from God, falls to the ground and it dies. Ezekiel represented the people of Jerusalem in their unregenerate condition while yet professing to worship the Lord. We see again another visible reminder of their condition. Here's another one that Ezekiel in chapter 12 was instructed to pack his bags and to move. Now, what is this one about? Well, he's told to pack up his belongings and to leave at night. And this, this particular packing your belongings and leaving in the middle of the night was many times what an exile would do if they were banished from their homeland. They would leave in the darkness of night. Now, Ezekiel, under God's instruction, explains that the Israelites would have to, they will go as captives, and the hope of leaving Babylon is gone. Now, he reminds them of something very similar that happened with Zedekiah, and how Zedekiah would escape in the night, and that he would flee towards Jordan, that Zedekiah would be captured by Nebuchadnezzar's army, and that his soldiers, that uh, the soldiers of Zedekiah would be slaughtered, his sons would be killed, and that Zedekiah would be blinded as a punishment of all that he had done and what he stood for. Now, God explained through the prophet Ezekiel that Zedekiah will never see the land of Judah and will die in Babylon as a prisoner. In other words, God will punish his people to correct their behavior. Whom the Lord loves, what does he do? He chastens, right? So God loves us, and again, God will not wink at sin. Here's one, his sighing, S-I-G-H-I-N-G in chapter 21. This deals with groaning and pain and grief. When you get to chapter 21, you find some warnings that are there. And this is not the only place in the Bible you see the word woe, W-O-E. And you see here the prophet declaring these warnings to Jerusalem. And, of course, also there in that chapter, the Bible records the death of his wife. Now, as his wife dies, the Bible records she dies suddenly. So here's the sighings. So the sanctuary of God would suddenly and soon perish. Now, think about that. The place of God, the sanctuary of God. Well, when we sing that song, Brother Kenny leads us sometimes to sing, Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary 
pure and holy, tried and true. Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. And we find here his sighings because the sanctuary would suddenly and soon perish. Here's another one in chapter 21. God instructed him to clap his hands, put his hands up over his head, clap his hands. Now, again, what is this particular one about? And I'm just abbreviating these. You could study them some more. Here it is. God interrupted Ezekiel's muteness. Remember I told you that many of his things that he did, he did it without saying a word. He used sign language. But God interrupted that here in chapter 21, and he did it to announce the judgment that he was going to have on Judah. This clapping of the hands was an expressive gesture to show God's anger against Israel's wickedness. In other words, many times you would do that as a sign of approval. And this was God using the prophet to say that I am against Israel's wickedness, the clapping of his hands. In chapter 24, we see the sign of the pot, all right? Ezekiel was, uh, he told the rebellious house of Israel, this was a parabolic teaching about a cooking pot that was filled with water and choice meat that was being boiled. Now, the people thought, here's what they thought, that being in the pot, that as Jerusalem, they thought if we're in that pot, we're safe. What they did not realize is that the pot was actually their place of destruction. The whole time they thought, but the prophet revealed that this would be their demise. And then the last one here is that God instructed him not to mourn his wife's death. Earlier we mentioned that, but in chapter 24, God told the prophet not to mourn the loss of his wife. Now, again, there was many things that they did, the sackcloth and ashes and many things that they would do to show uh, their mourning for their loved one that had passed away. God told him, do not mourn. He's, and he, God knew for the prophet this would be a great sacrifice for him, and it would cause great pain to his heart to not be able to mourn. Well, why did he do this? It was done to show how Israel's hearts would be so hard or hardened against God and his sanctuary that they will not even mourn the loss. Won't even bother them. You know, and it's, it's, it's sad nowadays how when things happen, it doesn't even bother people. The conscience for many have been seared. Now, these are just some of the many things that he acted out, that he showed signs to them of their condition and God's displeasure. Now, if you look at the next thing here, a little section It says the contents of these signs, and there's more than what we just went through, the contents of those signs and the actions can all be summed up. You can can kind of draw a line and put an equal sign. They can be summed up by three outstanding events. Here they are. The first one is the departure of the glory of the Lord from the temple. God leaves the temple, the dwelling place. Secondly, we see the fall of Jerusalem. How sad. And then thirdly, look at this, the return of the Shekinah glory is prophesied. Now, sometimes people say, well, what in the world is that Shekinah glory? I mean, you've heard glory before. Somebody defined it as the dwelling or settling of the divine presence of God. 
So many times in the Holy of Holies, you would have God coming down in the Holy of Holies and the Shekinah glory of God, and of course, could not look upon God himself. And so these are some of the contents. Listen, I wish we had more time, but that gives you uh, an amazing idea of that, plus so many other things in the book of Ezekiel. Now, here's the chart. You have it, I think, on your last page there, and I'll let you look through it for sake of time, but you can see the glory departed, and then later on, the, the city shall be restored, the prophecy about it, and the restoration to come. But listen, that comes after the judgment of God. And so you can take the time to look over that chart. Let's cover the remainder of this. Notice the character of Ezekiel is it's highly figurative prophecy. And again, these, this is one of the major prophet, pro, uh, prophet's uh, writings. The subject of it is again, goes along with our theme, the vision of the glory of the Lord departing from the temple at the time of the captivity and the return of his Shekinah glory to his house in what is known as the millennium, which is the thousand-year reign of Christ. And so you can, you can look, if, if, you, if you've got your your spiritual discernment, and you know anything about the end times and the millennial kingdom, there is things in the book of Ezekiel that have already happened, but there are many things in the book of Ezekiel that are yet future, that have not yet happened. You say, well, that's Old Testament. Well, listen, that's the Bible, all right? And we'll see even next time in the book of Daniel the same thing. There is still much when it comes to some of these prophetic books. Now, the purpose of the book of Ezekiel is to encourage and strengthen our hearts in the time of sorrow and trial by the revelation of the glory that is yet to be ours with him in his kingdom. God wants to strengthen us for the days ahead. And listen, the Bible tells us that we are living, uh, we're living in a, a very difficult time. There's a falling away, the Bible talks about, and we need to be aware of that, and God will strengthen our hearts during times of trial with the revelation of the glory that is yet to be ours. Now, here's a simple outline. The call of Ezekiel is how it begins, and then we see the carrying out of his commission. Just like the church that we're a part of, God had a commission for this prophet, like all of them, and then notice that as he begins to carry out the work of God through chapter 7, then we see the rejection of the people. And, you know, again, you wish everybody would receive the message of God. Not all people will. And this is chapters 8 to 11, dealing with idolatrous worship. God's glory departs from the temple we mentioned earlier in chapter 10. And then notice that as God's glory departs, their sins are rebuked, chapter 12 to 19. The nature of judgment and their guilt, the next five chapters. And then we see in, in the sixth part of the outline, judgment upon seven heathen nations. Again, dealing with nations other than Israel enter into the book of the writings of Ezekiel, the prophecies, chapters 25 to 32. And then in 33, we see the destruction of Jerusalem, just as Ezekiel prophesied. And then notice the last section here, chapters 33 to 48, deal with prophecies after the destruction, which deal with Israel's future. And we can still see that even in the Old Testament and New Testament. And you see some of that in Romans chapter number 11. And it deals with a, a, a new life to be bestowed, a new order to be established. And God's glory returns in chapter 44. And so there's a simple outline might help you as you study it. The scope of the book, not as, not as long to prophesy 
as we saw with Jeremiah. I believe Jeremiah was 46 years. This is 22 years. Now, it doesn't seem like much, but there is a lot that God gave to, the, to Ezekiel. He's the writer. And notice his ministry, too, like that of Jeremiah, was confined to the southern kingdom of Judah during the early years of the captivity. They were mainly the older group that were there, still hardened by their rebellion against God and the prophets. And listen, it's not easy. Sometimes, even when I'm up here, I see people sitting out there. I see all kinds, like this morning. Some people smiling. Some people really, really listening. You could tell they're with it. And some people are like this. You know? And it's like can't get a holy grunt out of them sometimes. But a lot of times, people are just hardened the way Israel was. And really, many times, it stems back to their heart is not right with the Lord. And I know that uh, God will, will continue to work, and we thank the Lord for that. Now, when was it written? Well, the period of his prophecy was 592 to 570 B.C. It was written because he was in exile, recorded in Babylon. The key chapter, one of the neatest, but again, one of the most intriguing chapters in the Bible is chapter 37, oftentimes known as the dry bone chapter. And a lot of times people really are like, what in the world is this all about? This is the vision that came to Ezekiel after, after God directed him to prophesy the rebirth of Israel in chapter 36. So you, you really have to read 36 and 37 together. And again, I, I, I'm, just, I'm launching off of 36, the key chapter 37. But look at this, God announced through the prophet that Israel would be restored to her land under the leadership of David. Listen, David, my servant, who shall be king over them. This is, yes, using the name David, but it's a reference to the future under Jesus, the Messiah, the descendant of David. He would sit upon the throne of his father David, is what the Bible tells us. Now, God directed the prophet to tell, this. you know, every time I think of this, I'm like, boy, I'd love to see this someday, but he tells the bones that God would make breath to enter into the bones that they would come to life. This is a valley of dry bones. There's no life. Of course, we know God is the giver of life, and God can restore life, and the Bible says that Ezekiel obeyed. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine God tells you to talk to dry bones? And you're like, right. But he obeyed God. The bones came together. Flesh began to develop. Skin covered the flesh. Breath entered the bodies, and they stood up as an army. Now, as you think about that prophecy, here's what it is. The vision symbolized the whole house of Israel that was then in captivity. They thought their hope was gone, and they were cut off forever. The reviving of the dry bones signifies God's plan for Israel's future national restoration. It also shows that Israel's new life depended on God's power and not circumstances of the people. The Israelites residing in the Holy Land, that there are many there today, that is not the fulfillment of this prophecy. It will be fulfilled when God regathers believing Israelites to the land and Christ returns to establish his millennial kingdom. And that's going to be quite the day. And so that chapter, that study, that vision 
It's an amazing passage in the Bible. If you've never studied it, take some time. And again, God is not done with Israel. Notice the key verse, the very first word in the, uh, verse in the book. It came to pass in the 30th year, in the fourth month, in the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives, Ezekiel said, by the river of Kibar, that the heavens opened. They were open, and I saw the visions of God. And so God shows to Ezekiel the visions that he, that he would have, that he would prophesy. Notice the key word, then his vision. And, of course, Proverbs 29 where there is no vision, the people perish. And the word there that is often used, I've said it before, deals with the Word of God, where there is no truth. You know, that's why Jesus said, you shall know the truth. There's three people that are, that are their home is in heaven today that wasn't their home yesterday. And so where there's no Word from God, no vision, people are going to perish. The key phrase is, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. That, that occurs over 60 times. Here's one of the instances, Ezekiel 6, 7, The slain shall fall in the midst of you, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. I am the Lord. The key thought is the glory of the Lord. The glory of the Lord. The spiritual thought from the book is God says, I will restore the sanctuary. I will restore the sanctuary. Now, here's some things that, Again, there's so many I could have done. I might have gone overboard tonight, and you just forgive me if I did. But some of the things that I found to be very unique in the book of Ezekiel. Here's the first one, is the prophecy that we find in Ezekiel 38 and 39 against Gog, the future battle. Now, this battle is, as you study the Word of God, it's not the same as the Gog and Magog in the book of Revelation. In Ezekiel's prophecy... The battle of Gog is used by God to draw Israel to himself. In the book of Revelation, the battle of Gog and Magog comes after God has drawn his people to himself for the thousand years of blessing. So it would seem that when you study Ezekiel's vision, his prophecy, that it is fitting to place Ezekiel's battle in the time period known as the Great Tribulation. Now, God wants us to, to warn us of the terrible results of sin and that's what this prophecy is about. He wants us to know that righteousness will triumph in the end. The enemies of God will be destroyed and sin will be ended forever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Now look at this. We need to live each day in the camp of the saints and not in the camp of Gog and Magog. And so we see a future battle that is mentioned here, the prophecy against Gog. Now notice Israel, here's another thing I found, Israel's threefold sin in Ezekiel 16, verse 49. Look at the verse. Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. Here, here's the iniquity, the sin. Pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters, neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. So three things that we see is Israel's sin one is pride. Pride always leads to, leads to rebellion against God. And what does the Bible tell us? That pride leads to a fall. That's what pride leads to. Notice the second sin of Israel is the fullness of bread. Well, what is that about? Self-satisfaction. When things are going well, we don't need God. That's the problem with America today. America's fat. 
But I'm going to tell you something, America needs God. Here's what we see in our country today, just like in Ezekiel's day, is this fullness of bread deals with a lack of spiritual values, a lack of spiritual values. And then the third sin of Israel was the abundance of idleness. Well, I think we all have heard this before, idleness is the devil's what? Workshop. And here's what we see is we're living in a day just like Ezekiel's day where everyone does that which is right in his own eyes. Anything goes. This is an amazing time in history, Bible history, in Ezekiel's day. We're living in a very interesting day ourselves, but that's their threefold sin. Here's another aspect I found to be unique. It is oftentimes referred to as the watchman warning. The watchman warning. Now, in chapter 3 and chapter 33, cities of long ago, I mentioned earlier, were built on hills. And notice that these cities had a high tower that was built upon the city wall. And in that tower was someone known as a watchman who could see a long distance out. They could see the approach of the enemy. The watchman's job was to warn the people who in turn would close the gates of the city and prepare for battle. So when you think of us today, if you apply the Christian life to this thought, the Christian is also to be a watchman to warn sinners of impending doom unless they repent and get right with God. One of the responsibilities that God's given to me personally as a pastor is to guard the flock. There's been times where even maybe some of you I've talked with you because maybe God has shown me something or maybe something was said or I saw something. I never come to anyone with, with a, a higher attitude or, or, or more holier than anyone else. It's one of the responsibilities that God's given to me to warn people of the impending doom. Can I just say, be careful about what you're reading, what you're watching, what you're listening to. Because the gates, the eyes, the ears, all of these gates that God has given to us as a human will allow things into our lives. Not everything is what it seems. Oftentimes, even in the New Testament, wolves in sheep's clothing. So listen, be careful. And if a Christian brother comes to you in the right spirit, and tries to help you, listen, receive that, okay, in a, in a spirit of brotherhood or sisterhood. But look, I love the thought here of the watchman and warning of the people. Here's a great one in the book of Ezekiel, a man in the gap. Now look at this. The Bible says in chapter 22 and verse 30, and I sought for a man among them, notice among them, that should make up the hedge. Stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found what? I found none. Years ago, I remember standing. I remember it like it was almost yesterday. I was at the funeral home. I was standing down front. My pastor was there, called him preacher. The wife of one of our members was standing there next to him, and her husband was in the casket. Her name was Jesse. His name was Jerry. I hadn't been in the church long, hadn't been saved long. And I didn't think I was anybody. I'm still nobody. 
But God, while I was standing there, God impressed upon me to tell my pastor, and I walked up to him, and I said to him, I said, look, I'm not Jerry. I'll never be Jerry. But I know that God called him home, and I certainly could never, never take his spot. But if there's anything I can do, please let me know. God is looking for a man or a woman to stand in the gap, make up the hedge. And a lot of times we see it, but we're not willing to do it. Look at this statement here. The redeemed man is the gap between the lost and Christ. God wants to use us to help others come to the Lord. And we saw that today Thank God for some of you that invited your friends. Here's another unique thing is the skirt spread over. Now, we see this in other places in the Bible. One of the beautiful places we see it is in the book of Ruth with Boaz. But we also see it here in the book of Ezekiel. Look at chapter 16 there, verse 8. The Bible says, Now, when I passed by thee and looked upon thee, behold, thy time was the time of love. And I spread my skirt over thee, and I covered thy nakedness. Yea, I swear unto thee, and entered into a covenant with thee, saith the Lord God, and thou becamest mine. Now, what is this all about? Well, here it is. The, the eastern custom of the skirt spreading over was about the right of protection. That's what it was all about. Remember how Boaz treated, remember? The whole scene there, it was the right of protection. So Ezekiel was illustrating God's acceptance of Israel. The skirt spread over. Here's a, here's a neat one, chapter 44, the sealed gate. This is a gate which opened into the temple area. It was also called the golden gate or the gate beautiful. Remember in Acts 3 where Peter and John were about to go into the house of God for the time of prayer? And there was, there was a man that was lame there at the gate. Remember, Peter looked down and he said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And that man began walking and leaping and praising God. That's this gate. Now notice, after Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 A.D. by Titus, the present wall was not rebuilt until about A.D. 1500. At which time, when it was rebuilt, the gate, the golden gate, the beautiful gate, was sealed on that site. It's still sealed. Brother Robert, you remember being there, seeing that? Robert, was, Robert and I were standing there, and I said, look down there, Brother Robert. I said, that's, that's the gate right there. I'm going to tell you something. It says here, upon the return of Christ in His glory on this earth as the Prince of Peace, this gate will be opened as was predicted by Ezekiel. And, and listen, I, they can build as many graveyards in front of it as they want, but it's not going to stop the Lord from going through, the King of kings and Lord of lords. A couple ways Christ was magnified in the book of Ezekiel. One is he is known as a tender twig. A tender twig in chapter 17, this is the prophecy of the coming of the Messiah. He is the highest branch. He would be the shoot coming from the stump of the line of David. He is a tender twig. He is also known as 
the shepherd or our shepherd. And we see here, even in Ezekiel, that he will search for the lost. He will bring back the strays. He will bind up the injured. He will strengthen the weak. As a holy God, he will not tolerate sin. And we see him as our shepherd. We also see, as I mentioned earlier, David. Jesus is magnified as David. The name David there refers to Israel's anointed son of David, the Messiah, the one who will come to fulfill God's promises. And here's one maybe you haven't seen in chapter 34, the plant of renown. Now, a plant in the Old Testament is also a tree. They're one and the same. But Ezekiel here, as he's mentioning this plant of renown, refers to uh, as something that is planted that serves as an authority. The plant or planting serves two reasons. One is it serves as food. It alludes to the righteous branch, capital R, capital B, and his branches, the branches that come off of the righteous branch. He is the one who came down from heaven not to do his own will, but to do the will of him that sent him. Jesus said it himself in Matthew 28, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And we see him as the plant of renown. And that plant or planting also serves to take away shame. The Bible tells us that he came as the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. And we thank God for his uh, role in our life, especially in our salvation. Without him, we would not be saved. And so he is magnified in many ways, many more besides those ones that I've given you tonight. Now, as we conclude this, notice you would think when you study some of the stuff we've talked about, you would think with all that we've discussed that Israel, with all her glory and because of her favor with God, that Israel would have remained true and loyal to their God, Jehovah, that his glory, having been manifested to them time and time and time again, yet with all the glory of God around them, Ezekiel testifies to their rejection of God because of their idolatrous worship. And and again, I've said this, idols are not always some sort of little statue or trinket or something like that. It could be anything that comes between us and God. And Israel, of course, was an idolatrous people. Notice God did not exile the Israelites primarily to punish them. Many times people think that's why they went into captivity was God was punishing them. Notice God has never been, nor is he now, interested in punishment for punishment's sake. Rather, notice he intended the judgment in Ezekiel's day as a means to an end. And what he was trying to do and accomplish was to bring his people to the place of repentance and humility before him. In other words, to get them to turn back to him. Now, God does not force people. I, I was talking to someone today earlier before the service, and I said, when we deal with people, we do not force people to make a decision because if we do, it's not genuine. And I talked to the, the couple that trusted Christ this morning, and I said, listen, I said, if you notice, I said, I asked you one time if you would come. And I thank God they stepped out, and they, they put their faith in Christ I said, I, I just personally, I, I, if, if I've got to beg somebody and plead with them and hound them, and, and that's, that's one of those things where I just ask the Lord for discernment on that because, you know, look, I, I don't like high-pressure things either, but I believe if God's working, then the Spirit would be willing. 
And we saw them come, and that's exactly what the Lord wanted. And he used Ezekiel to try to bring his people to a place of repentance. Now look at this. The reason for that is because they had lived so long in sin and rebellion. They were confident in their own strength. That they need, that, look at this, they needed God to remind them of his holy nature. And we all need that from time to time. You know, we, we get to the place where, uh, you know, things are going well. Uh, and, and sometimes I tell people, you know, I, I commend them that, that listen, it's, it's one thing to turn to God when times are tough. But when everything is firing on all cylinders and you're still serving the Lord, you're still obeying God. I commend people for that. Now, the Bible tells us, even in the book of James, look at this. In Ezekiel's day, many are hearers, but they're not doers. Many people give lip service, but yet their heart was far away from God. Here's how Ezekiel put it in chapter 33. And they came unto thee as the people cometh, and they sit before thee as my people. And they hear thy words, but they will not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their heart goeth after their covetousness. And lo, thou art unto them as a very lovely song of one that hath a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument. For they hear thy words, but they do, look at this, they do them not. And when this cometh to pass, lo, it will come. Then shall they know that a prophet hath been among them. Not everybody's going to... Listen, even when Jesus was on this earth, not everybody received him when he was the one that was telling them the truth. So in conclusion, God's people in Ezekiel's day, they were uprooted. They went into captivity. They were confused. I think many times, even today, we, we sometimes find ourselves asking this, this, this question, why, Lord? Why is this happening? Waiting in silence for the answer. Sometimes the answer comes, sometimes it doesn't. But I know this, God is working all things together for what? For good. So the book of Ezekiel, tremendous study. It reminds us to seek out the Lord in these dark times that we feel lost, to examine our lives, to align ourselves with the one true God. That's what the book of Ezekiel is about. And I hope that's something that you have been able to just think about not only this evening, but take some time to study it, spend some time in it. And some of you probably heard some of those visions, some of those signs, and you're like, wow, I want to go back and study those. There's so much more to many of them I did not have the time to get into. But let's stand tonight, and as we stand, we'll be dismissed in prayer. And Brother Flynn, why don't you dismiss us in prayer tonight, would you?